you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. Let every nation know, whether it wishes us well or ill, that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of the What up, what up? This is your boy Rob Clark welcoming you to the 22 November Network. Get ready for another exciting edition of the Lone Gunman Podcast featuring me, that's right, your boy Rob Clark coming at you. Stay tuned. Be right there. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. This is your boy Rob Clark, here with you for episode number 44, LBJ Didn't Do It. That's right, that's what we're going to cover today. We're going to take a look at uh, the man himself, his accused associates, such as Mac Wallace, and I'm going to illustrate for you why this man, Lyndon Baines Johnson, a was not capable of, of pulling something like this off, and B uh, that subsequent researchers have created this fabricated uh, spider web of lies uh, to implicate him and other people who are long since deceased. And because you know what, I've. I've had it with a lot of things here lately, and, you know, one of the big ones is the whole LBJ did it theory, and, and Mac Wallace, and I'm tired, if I hear Mac Wallace's name one more time, I literally might blow my brains out, because, <clears throat> I'm just sick of it, there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever about Mac Wallace's involvement, period, is he an interesting guy, yeah, he is, is he a murderer, yeah, he was, um, was LBJ a bastard, disgusting, despicable human being? Yes, he was. Okay? But none of these add up or prove that they planned any kind of assassination or, you know, he he uh, enlisted the help of Mac Wallace to pull it off. And like I've been talking about here recently, unsubstantiated claims. Okay? I'm sick of them. Throw them out the window. 
Okay? Oswald in the doorway. Bye. See you later. Okay? Call me, you know, when uh, some independent photo analyst proves you right. Until then, hit the road, Ralph, and, and, and don't come around no more, no more, no more. Okay? Judy Baker. Okay? You can't support any of your claims because you don't have the evidence. Okay, your so-called, quote, evidence file or whatever, it's all circumstantial nonsense, okay? And here recently, Trish and Zach, uh, who wrote the debunk blog about her pixelation study, challenged her to a uh, debate and asked if they could do it here. I said, sure, okay, you know, no problem, we can do it, you know? Or, you know, there's other forms to do it on if she's not comfortable doing it here. It's real simple. Come up with three subjects per show. We can do two shows if we have to, if you want to. Come up with three topics per show. Each side gets seven minutes to say their piece without interrupting the other. And, you know, just go back and forth like that. It's fine with me. doesn't matter to me. Um, so the offer's out there. Or you can take it to Lynn or uh, go into the go into enemy territory and let Gary King do it. Whatever is clever. And uh, yeah, a whole lot of nonsense these past couple weeks, man. But it, it's good to vent. And, and many props out to Dusty Road. Uh, 22 November Network's own Dusty Road, who created a, a group to vent about... Uh, Topics, topics on the JFK assassination and, uh, you know, kind of pull it out of these groups that don't like to have arguing back and forth and, and name calling and stuff. And, you know, at least this group, you can say whatever you want to say, you know, within reason, of course, within the root, the confines of harassment or what have you. But, uh, so props to him and congratulations to Michael Gregory, another 22 November network's own, uh, for a successful first blog post, Gregorian Rants number one. If you haven't checked it out yet, please go read it on 22NovemberNetwork.wordpress.com. Also, Doug Campbell, the podcast, The Dallas Action. If you haven't yet, go check out his newest episode with Dr. Walt Brown. You won't be disappointed. Once again, Dr. Walt Brown lays it out there for you and makes many, 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 many good points. Also, I'm mentioned in the podcast as well, but don't listen to it for that because I'm not very exciting. But Dr. Walt Brown is, so you don't want to miss it. If you haven't yet, go check out episode number 46 of the Dallas Action. You can find it on Spreaker and Stitcher and links at 22NovemberNetwork.wordpress.com. And at the blog, we can see all the places from around the world that people come to check our stuff out at. And... It's quite frankly amazing to sit there and see people from Malaysia, uh, Nigeria, Cameroon, Madagascar, New Zealand, Australia, Romania, Finland, you know, you name it. And, and we got people coming to check us out and our stuff out and we thank you immensely for doing so. Now... I'm also going to intersperse a couple clips in my little diatribe here from uh, Mr. Edgar Tatro. And 
for the first time in months since he almost caused me to quit doing this show, um, I finally feel like I'm back in full force as I was back then. Uh, listenership dropped off immensely after I said I was doing the last show. So hopefully everybody's back now. I'm not going anywhere. And Ed Tatro is a big LBJ guy, you know, as far as him implementing him in the assassination. So I'm going to play a couple clips of, of, of Tatro going off about LBJ and address him. First of all, let's talk a little bit about the man LBJ. And what illustrated it best for me is that news conference when Air Force One first arrived back here and uh, LBJ steps off the plane and he looks about like the weakest shell of a man I've ever seen in my life. I will do my best. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, come on, man. Uh, you know, I could fake it better than that. Okay? You know, it would be hard, you know, to uh, get out and address the world, you know, and, and, and not show some kind of emotion. Um, you know, I don't think there's anywhere in the photographic record of that day, anywhere of Lyndon Baines Johnson shedding a tear about what happened. And you know what? I'm not surprised because the dude was an asshole. He was a bastard. Okay. We've all heard the stories about, you know, taking a piss on the White House lawn and peeing on uh, Secret Service guy's shoes, you know, holding meetings while he's on the shitter, uh, you know, his rampant womanizing. I think he banged like seven out of ten of his White House secretaries. You know, the dude was scum, you know. Um, real scum. You know, he'd pick up dogs by their ears, and, and he was an asshole, Okay. He was a bastard human being. Yes, he was. But you know what people like that are the most? People like that, bullies like that, are the biggest cowards in the world. Okay? When you call them on their bullshit. Now, the only reason nobody called Lyndon Johnson on his bullshit was because he was president of the United States. Okay? When bullies get power... You know, it's it gives them a sense of entitlement and that they can do whatever the hell they want to do and not worry about the consequences. You know, was he in uh, trouble with over the uh, the voting scandal, the Bobby Baker scandal, Billy Sawestas and all that shit? Yes, he was. OK, was he likely going to go to jail? Yeah, he probably was. If life would have ran with their story the week after the assassination, he probably would have. But is this something that he would have to plan an assassination of the president just to get out of? The dude had no stones. He wouldn't have had the stones to make that call. I'm going to read you something now that a guy in my uh, JFK New Orleans in the Garrison Investigation group on Facebook posted. 
uh, a guy named Dave Sharp, and props out to him for posting it because it illustrates Johnson perfectly for the coward that he is, okay? Less than a year into his presidency, on August 25th, 1964, Johnson got cold feet and wanted to resign. On August 2nd, 1964, the mysterious Gulf of Tonkin incident occurred and the Gulf of Tonkin resolution was subsequently ratified by Congress, which marked the beginning of the Vietnam War. A few weeks later, on August 25th, 1964, Johnson began to lose his nerve and planned to announce that he would withdraw his name as Democratic presidential candidate. Here's a transcript of a telephone conversation with Press Secretary George Reedy, where Johnson was clearly shaken over a walkout uh, by Southern delegations on the previous day at the Democratic Convention in Atlantic City. Reedy, I'm set to brief. LBJ, good. Reedy, what should I tell him about this morning? LBJ, I don't know, George. There's really not much to tell him. I'm just writing out a little statement that I think I'm going to make either at a press conference or go up to Atlantic City this afternoon to make. But I don't think we can tell him about it now. Here's what I'm going to say to him. 44 months ago, I was selected to be the Democratic Vice President. On that fateful November day last year, I accepted the responsibility of the President, asking God's guidance and the help of all our people. For nine months, I've carried on as effectively as I could. Our country faces grave dangers. Let me say that again. Our country faces grave dangers. These dangers must be faced and met by a united people under a leader they do not doubt. After 33 years in political life, most men acquire enemies as ships accumulate barnacles. The times require leadership about which there is no doubt and a voice that men of all parties and sections and color can follow. I've learned after trying very hard that I am not that voice or that leader. Therefore, I suggest the representatives from all states of the Union selected for the purpose of selecting a Democratic nominee for president and vice president proceed to do their duty. And that no consideration be given to me because I am absolutely unavailable. LBJ then vents. Then they can pick just two, uh, the two they want for the two places. We'll do the best we can to help till January. Then, if he's elected, they can have a new and fresh fella without any of the old scars. And I don't want this power of the bomb. I just don't want these decisions I'm required to make. I don't want the conniving that's required, and I don't want the disloyalty that's around. I don't want the bungling and the inefficiencies of our people. Reedy, this will throw the nation into quite an uproar, sir. LBJ, yeah, I think so. And I think that now is the time, though. I don't know any better time. I'm absolutely positive that I cannot lead the South and the North, and I don't want to lead the nation without my own state and without my own section. I am very convinced that the Negroes will not listen to me. They're not going to follow a white Southerner, and the stakes are too big to try to compromise. Reedy, I think it's too late, sir. I know it's your decision because you're the man that has to bear the brunt, but right now I think this just gives the country to Goldwater. LBJ, that's all right. I don't care. I'm just willing to, well, I don't think that. I don't agree with that at all. But I think he could do better than I can because, blah, 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 blah. Reedy, he can't, sir. He's just a child. And look at our side. We don't have anybody. The only man I'd trust to be president would be McNamara, and he wouldn't stand a chance. LBJ, no, but we didn't trust any of the rest of them. You know, we didn't trust Eisenhower or Jack Kennedy. That's a matter for them. Anyway, they've been running their business for a couple hundred years, and I'll leave it up to them. <laughs> Whoever them is. Uh, 
A few minutes later, Johnson was on the phone with Walter Jenkins and expressed frustration over the Gulf of Tonkin resolution, suggesting that he did not have a mandate to wage a war in Southeast Asia. LBJ, I don't believe there will be many attacks on the order I issue on Tonkin Gulf if I'm not a candidate. And then I think the people will give the man that they want a mandate. And he might continue the work we've done. Now, that right there, <laughs> okay, that lets you in to see a little window on Lyndon Baines Johnson and who he really was. Nine months into assuming the presidency of the United States, he couldn't handle it. He didn't want it. Okay? He didn't think that he could get the job done. Now, is this the actions of a man so hell-bent on becoming president? I don't think so. You know, he was, for 44 months, the vice president of the United States. Okay, that's almost four years. Almost. He knew what it entailed to be the president. He knew the decisions that had to be made, the difficult decisions that had to be made. He knew the stress, the immense stress that the president of the United States is under. Okay? He saw it firsthand better than anyone out there. And he actually thought to himself, I want this so bad, I'm going to kill Jack Kennedy to get it. You've got to be kidding me. When just nine months later, he's talking about not running for president. Because it is just too much for him to bear. Too much. I mean, the Warren report haven't even, hadn't even, or the Warren Commission hadn't even put their report out yet. And he's talking about wanting to quit. Okay, this is the kind of person that's your mastermind, Phil Nelson, Roger Stone. This is your mastermind? Come on, man. Get the hell out of here with that shit. Okay? Now, just because somebody's a despicable human being does not mean that they are capable of planning a murder and executing a murder. You know, was LBJ, you know, was he busy? Did he have anything to do with Lee Oswald? I mean, really? Was he involved in setting him up or, or making him commit anything? I don't think so. Can't prove it. Do you think the CIA, do you think that Alan Dulles or that anybody at the CIA would have listened to Lyndon Johnson's orders? I don't think so. The CIA takes orders from no one. They give the orders. Okay, they would not have bowed down to Lyndon Johnson. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about Mac Wallace because I, I am so sick of hearing this shit about Mac Wallace and the supposed fingerprint on the sixth floor. Okay, you know, Mac Wallace is just one in a long, long line of people to admit to having something, to having done something uh, involving the assassination. I think he admitted to somebody in a bar when he was drunk. Supposedly. So now let's take another look at Mr. Malcolm Mac Wallace. Okay. And the research I'm pulling from here is uh, from Joan Mellon. And this information is going to be contained in her new book that is not out yet. 
Okay, and I'll put up links to all this stuff over at 22november.wordpress.com so you can check it out and read it for yourself. Okay, people? There was a guy named John Fraser Harrison who decided to pursue the issue of whether the one unidentified fingerprint in the hands of the Warren Commission belonged to Mac Wallace. That Mac Wallace had committed one murder in cold blood, that of John Douglas Kinzer, made him vulnerable to such an accusation. Okay? Now, what people don't realize is this. Okay, the, the man that he murdered, John Douglas Kinzer, okay, and this is more like a soap opera than anything, okay, he, um, Mac Wallace, had relations with John Douglas Kinzer's girlfriend, who at the time happened to be Josepha Johnson. After John Douglas Kinzer realized that Mac Wallace had been messing around with Josepha Johnson. John Douglas Kinzer decided to get back at Mac Wallace by sleeping with his wife. Okay? So Mac Wallace shows up one day at, at, a, at a golf range and shoots him point-blank, cold-blooded. Bam. That is what we call, people, a crime of passion. Okay? That's important to remember. Okay? People often get occupied and caught up in emotion, especially when it involves love and sex and deceit. And that's what happened. Okay? You know, there wasn't no bones about it. He wasn't sniping from anywhere. He walked right up to him and shot him and uh, in cold blood. Remember that. Um. And people say that uh, Mac Wallace had been a beneficiary of Lyndon Johnson's largesse, that he had indeed done jobs for Johnson. I didn't say murders, I said jobs. Compounded this presumed fabricated felony he was accused of. And so, Jay, as we will call John Fraser Harrison, devoted himself to the fingerprint identification. And it wasn't easy for him to obtain the Austin police fingerprints from Mac Wallace. You have to wait 25 years after the death of a person to have access to the prints. And even then, there was some question about whether you had standing to be granted the prints. Jay was unrelenting, and he obtained a copy of the original fingerprint card that was created when Mac Wallace was arrested for the murder of John Douglas Kinzer. It turned out to be a very sloppily done print because the Austin police had a habit of not cleaning the apparatus carefully when moving from one suspect to another. It was blurry. It was blurry. Jay then obtained a copy of the print in the hands of the National Archives, the unidentified print taken on the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository. Then he looked for a certified latent print examiner and found a seasoned examiner, some, someone well-known to the Austin authorities. His name was Nathan Darby. And he had been doing print identification since World War II. At this point in time, the man was in his 80s. After working on the identifications, Darby pronounced that he had a match. I think by the time he was done, he said he had 34 points of match, which is way more than is needed. Uh, Jay then decided to get a second opinion and found a print examiner named Harold Hoffmeister, who initially verified Darby's identification. But shortly thereafter, Hoffmeister called back and returned his check for $500 that Barr McClellan had written to him. Hoffmeister had changed his mind. He didn't like the fact that he was using Xerox copies. 
instead of originals. And he repudiated his own statement and said that he could not verify that it was a match. No matter. The Darby identification accompanied by an affidavit readily available on the internet was announced as a fait accompli. The Austin police sent this material to the FBI and after, I believe, a year and a half, the FBI lab uh, replied that it was not a match. But who believes them, right? I mean, uh, the FBI didn't did not provide any supporting material, and that was pronounced disrespectful to Nathan Darby, since it was a protocol of the trade that when you go against an expert's conclusions, to present evidence for your decision. So, when McClellan's book came out, when Phil Nelson's book came out, the fingerprint identification was treated as gospel. I decided to reinvestigate the fingerprint identification because I was dubious about the accusations of self admitted liar Billy Sol Estes, as were many journalists in 1984 at the time when he made them. Johnson was dead, Mac Wallace was dead, Cliff Carter was dead. Prior to this, Billy Sol Estes had not ever named Mac Wallace as someone involved in these murders. Some noted that Estes had confided to a jury before he went to prison for the second time, as I mentioned earlier, that he was a habitual liar. Okay, So Billy Sol Estes Told a, told a jury in court that he has a problem, that he's a habitual liar, okay? That he was now in 1984 under oath testifying before a grand jury wouldn't confer credibility on the testimony of someone like this. Estes claimed to have tapes that proved his assertions, but he never made them public. After his death, I called his daughter Pam, who had written a book about her father's travail, and asked her about the tapes. I even offered to pay her, knowing that money had always been an element of the Estes culture. She gave me the cold shoulder, and no amount had even been uh, mentioned yet. Pam Estes added that she was involved in making two documentaries. With the affidavits of Nathan Darby and Harold Hoffmeister in hand, along with Darby's research files that were in the custody of Jay Harrison, I found a certified latent print examiner who had also been a law enforcement officer specializing in crime scene work. Most certified latent print examiners work for police departments and so are not readily available to individuals. I was fortunate, and I was doubly fortunate, that I had went to the best because this man had been an officer in the organization that certifies these examiners. I turned over to him Jay Harrison's Nathan's Darby uh, files that contained his research, his charts, and charts made over a period of two years. There were tracings, there were charts in red, green, and blue, and the matches were spelled out. Listen up. The first thing the examiner did was to say that something was missing. He wanted a new photograph of the unidentified print from the Texas School Book Depository, one made by the FBI. This photograph exists in the National Archives, and anyone can obtain one. When the FBI's photograph came, it was of a very high quality, according to the examiner. He compared that photograph with two other sets of Mac Wallace's prints, and those two sets matched each other. But neither one, neither one matched the print that had been lifted at the Texas School Book Depository at the time of the Kennedy assassination. Did you just hear what I said, you Mac Wallace apologist LBJ lovers? Neither matched the print that had been lifted at the Texas School Book Depository at the time of the Kennedy assassination. One day, the latent print examiner called me with some other information. He had contacts at the headquarters of the organization that certified examiners and they went to the file of Nathan Darby. They discovered a note in the file. Not only was Nathan Darby not certified when he swore on the affidavit that he was, 
but there was a note in his file stating that should he request recertification, that certification would be denied for whatever reason. In fairness to Nathan Darby, allow me to add that the computer technology of fingerprint identification has advanced immensely since the late 90s when he worked on these prints. If you ask my opinion, I would say that Darby believed that the two sets of prints indeed matched, but they do not. Hoffmeister was dubious about those Austin prints and believed they were poor Xeroxes, and he preferred to take back his original identification. In retrospect, his caution turns out to have been well advised, because in the world of print identification, one mistake can cost you your reputation. Now, if you don't have the fingerprint, you can't place Mac Wallace in Dealey Plaza. And if you can't place Mac Wallace at the scene of the assassination then your best piece of evidence that Lyndon Johnson was behind the assassination disappears. And there is other evidence casting doubt on that fingerprint identification, and that will be in Joan Mellon's new book. So be on the lookout for that. Okay? Now, I'm going to play you a little bit of Ed Tatro. Speaking on LBJ from the conference that I went to back in September. And, well, just briefly. So, I hope that clears up the whole Mac Wallace. Cause, I mean, there is a lot of questions about Mac Wallace. and and But it goes a lot deeper. And please go to the website and, and follow the link that I put there and read everything. Because it sheds light about Mac Wallace's life. It gives some insight into his early knife files. And why he was given a top secret clearance. And why that clearance was taken away. And other dubious connections. You know, he did have some. But the print is not Mac Wallace's. Okay, now, like I said, uh, this little piece I'm going to play for you is from the conference. Ed Tatro speaking on LBJ. Here we go. So much trouble. There's no way that you can ignore his motives. Because he had more motives than anybody. Every right-wing organization in this country wanted John Kennedy dead. But nobody was in more trouble than Lyndon Johnson. Now, let's stop it right there real quick. He just said that nobody wanted Kennedy dead more than the white right-wing extremists of the time. Okay. Here we go. That's what the guilty men is all about. Because of the scandals and everything, he was going to jail. The others, you know, they could get him somewhere along the line. You know, it didn't matter when, you know, they got him. But the... Now let me pause it again here. The others, meaning the right-wing, right-wing extremists, um, who had this giant fear of communism and, and that Kennedy was too soft on this kind of stuff and they wanted him dead. He says they could get him any time. Oh, yeah. They can get him any time down the road somewhere. Oh, sure. Let's wait. Let's wait till Kennedy served two terms. Then we'll kill him. No. If these right-wing extremists, a la General Edwin Walker, wanted Kennedy dead sooner than later, okay, they would have done it sooner than later. Makes sense? Let's continue. Lyndon Johnson, uh, the name of the manuscript I read is Urgency to Kill. He, he, he had to get him. This was his best chance in Dallas where he controlled everything. Okay. Pausing it again. 
This was LBJ's best chance to get him in Dallas where he could control everything. Okay? I'll, I'll, I'll leave that up to you. I mean, you know, sure, a lot of things happened in Dallas. And I'll go back to Jack Ruby for a second. Everybody likes to claim that, that, that Jack Ruby implicated Johnson and everything. Well, then why is it that Jack Ruby wanted to get the hell out of Dallas and go to Washington where LBJ is if he thought LBJ was behind everything? Jack Ruby was scared of the right-wing extremists in Dallas. That is why he said, you get me out of Dallas and I'll tell you everything. Back to, back to Ed. One more along that lines, philosophically. And he has a gigantic pause here, so just bear with him. Uh, uh, we're talking about the uh, murders in the room, Lord, Edgar Allan Poe. It's not kind of like Edgar Allan Poe right from the get-go because his first name was Ed then. There aren't too many of us. And I had to put up with a lot of name calling when I was a kid, you know, Gaga and whatever. And finally. Gaga. All right. Well, he, he rambles on here for quite a while about his name and Edgar Allan Poe and some other nonsense. Um, but the essence of what he's saying here is what he wants to convey. Okay. Is, is, is how much mo quote motive that Lyndon Johnson had or, his reasons for wanting to be president. And, you know, he says, well, he was, Lyndon was going to jail and he had a motive. He wanted that power. He, he, he wanted to be president. And what I read you before about how much of a coward Lyndon Johnson truly was. Okay. It's quite obvious to see that Lyndon Johnson wanted none of this. Okay. He didn't want any of this. He wanted out and he would have known what was expected of him to do being vice president and seeing it firsthand. He would have known what was expected of him. Okay. It's not something he would have wanted as, and it doesn't, to me, doesn't count as motive for anything. Um, you know, as for these right wing extremists wanting Kennedy dead, that is very, very true. Uh, you remember the flyers wanted for treason. Um, you know, and, and that flyer that listed all the Kennedy's uh, travails and travesties. And these are the same guys, these John Birch Society guys, the KKK guys, and, and, and that uh, had the impeach Earl Warren signs up. And uh, they even did an Earl Warren flyer, impeach Earl Warren. And it listed his uh, transgressions. You know, and these guys were rabid anti-communists. They even thought Alan Dulles was a communist. Okay. They had no love for anybody in, in, in you know, high office anywhere in the United States. They thought they were all Russian loving commies. Okay. Now I'm going to play you a little bit of a little bit more of Ed Tatro from uh, part two here. Here we go. Be enough to finish you for the night. Uh, I do want to start with this quote because when the Bobby Baker scandal broke, and it was everywhere, um, Johnson said he, he, was the, he was the secretary to the Senate 
and there are a hundred other, you know, 99 other senators. And I mean, Bobby Baker named his kid Lyndon Baker. Are you going to try to say he's not close to Lyndon Johnson? You know, or, or John? Well, my God, there's clear. It's clear right there. I mean, we can go go ahead and convict Johnson right now of, of the murder of John Kennedy. Bobby Baker named his kid Lyndon. Oh my God, it's, it's proof of everything. Johnson's going to disassociate himself, and so this is George Reedy, a brilliant writer and an honest man in the Johnson administration. One of the maybe the only there were a few others. George Reedy, Reedy wrote Johnson adopted this line that he hardly knew Bobby Baker. And I think he tried to convince himself that the line was true. You know, one of the things about Lyndon Johnson that you always have to be careful about, whatever Johnson tells you at any given moment, he thinks is the truth. The first victim of the Johnson Whopper is always Lyndon Baines Johnson. In his own line, I don't think the man ever told a Whopper in his whole life. And once he came up with that line that he hardly knew Bobby Baker, I think he decided in his own mind that he didn't. That's the guy's press secretary. Not somebody who's got an axe to grind. Not somebody in the Republican Party. Jumping back in here for a second. Okay, so he's asserting that just because he lies about his association with Bobby Baker, okay, that he that he murdered JFK. Now, if you were facing jail time for being associated with somebody, it's only a smart thing to do in public to deny that you hardly know them. Okay, it's not rocket science. Okay, I know I would do the same if I was implicated in some kind of political scandal. I'd be like, I, dude, I barely even know the guy. You know, whatever. Back to Ed. Not Barry Goldwyn. It's frustrating. There are a lot of great reading books. Okay. Here we go. I'll just, there's no organization to this. It's just a Gatling gun disgust. I'm, it's like putting feces in a Gatling gun. <laughs> and speaking of feces, if he didn't like you, he would sit on the toilet and take a dump. He had bathroom conferences. And his, his staff members they did it all the time. Um, See, I told you, if you can't get in with the facts, use humor. And here he's relating another story about Lyndon Johnson holding court in the shitter. As you were, Ed. Richard Goodwin said, uh, witness Johnson in the midst of defecation. He kept his cool while admitting in his memoirs that he had never before seen a president taking a shit. Richard Goodwin. No, I, I'm not making it up. All right. Um, in 1961, he wanted his two pilots to fly the private Convair 240 airplane to the Austin, from the Austin airport to the LBJ Ranch. The weather was terrible. And he whined and screamed and screamed at them, and there wasn't proper lighting at the ranch, and the two guys did what they were told and crashed and were killed. And the uh, large insurance policy uh, went to Lyndon Johnson. Okay? And he goes. Now, what does that prove? Nothing. Continue, Ed. So I'm wondering whether he just didn't do it on purpose. Okay? He had a company called the Brazos 10th Street Company, which is operated by the LBJ Stooges controlled by the LBJ company and was the principal conduit for Johnson's financial interest. And he had, he was infiltrated at least nine different Texas banks and Jack Valenti is in the middle of it and he'd sell it to Valenti and then Valenti would sell it to somebody else in his administration and then he'd sell it back and there was all kinds of tax loopholes and breaks and so he was playing games with money all the time. Okay, the big thing about Lyndon Johnson is, is he was 
as Bobby and Jackie said, a liar. Okay? Uh, in 1966 in South Korea, he said his great-great-grandfather died at the Alamo. Why? Robert Sherrill, who just died, one of the great writers of the 60s. Robert Sherrill wrote, the list of those who died in the Alamo is well known, and if great-grandpa Johnson was in the fight, he was on the side of the Mexicans. <laughs> then he said his great-great-grandfather died at the Battle of St. Jacinto, and that's not true. He had a great-great-uncle who fought at St. Jacinto, but the guy lived to be 72. So that's a lie. He claimed that Johnson City was named after his forebears. That's a lie. Okay. Um, he, um, throughout his career, when he'd have dresses made for his wife and his, and his daughters, or when he was having his hair cut, or when one of them was getting married, or when he'd say, I'm a poor man, I can't pay for pay. He was worth somewhere between 14 and $20 million at the time. And he had kept playing poor man. He also said, I, I know poverty. He lived well to do with his mom. Even she gave him a couple of shots. Like, don't talk to me. The liar, right? He was so cheap. Marie Fema, his secretary, used to recycle styrofoam cups in the White House. Okay, so he was a liar about his ancestors, and he was cheap. He was just lying to make himself look better and be more well-liked. Does that make him a murderer? I don't know. Keep going, Ed, as you were. Yeah, whoa. Okay, and Marie Fema's an interesting character. Because Marie Fema's mother, Olga Fema, worked in the Dow Tex building with Abraham Zapruder. Think about that. Abraham Zapruder works for a, with a woman whose daughter is the personal secretary of Lyndon Johnson. Wow, what a connection there. Okay, that means nothing. As you were, Ed. Anyway, uh, Travis Bryant, the White House dog caretaker. One of the dogs ripped the heel of his jacket. And, uh, you know, he said, no, will you get it fixed? And they get it fixed. They made him fill out an accident report, financial statement. Cost $35. He gave the damn jacket away. You know? um, he was, uh, Johnson was pissed off about the fact that the vet bills were so high for the Beagles. So he started sending them to the, um, uh, whatever it is, Fort Myers, where they... Um, Take care of the horses for funerals, military funerals. So his dogs got free, free vet service. He want to pay for it. Uh, he thought the uh, he was. He's president. He shouldn't have to pay for vet service. Anyway, as you were at. Using a dollar seventy-five cent pens, marked down to a dollar eleven. Thought it was too much, so we switched from a dollar seventy-five to twenty-five cent pens, which he was able to get for seventeen cents. Meanwhile, he spent two hundred billion, two hundred twenty billion dollars in the Vietnam War. Anyway, you get the picture, okay? It's a whole lot of nothing. A whole lot of nothing, people. It's circumstantial at best. It's painting a picture of a desperate uh, man wanting to be liked, who, who didn't like to spend his money, who lied all the time, who was a bastard to people. Yes, but it doesn't make him the murderer of John Kennedy. He didn't have the balls to take us to war in Vietnam. Okay? Let alone kill his predecessor. Okay? And Joan Mellon succinctly spells it out. Mac Wallace fingerprint is a myth. A myth. Add it to the many. 
Add it to the mini in this case. And keep researching, people. Don't ever stop. This is your boy Rob Clark telling you to get your ass over to 22novembernetwork.wordpress.com for more, for the links from this episode, and to check out all the great blog posts we have there and great shows for you. We do this for you, people. This bitch is in the can, beamed up to the satellite, down directly to your ears. This is your boy Rob Clark thanking you for checking us out again here. Please share links. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter to stay up to date. Subscribe to our stuff on Stitcher, Spreaker. Give us a follow, a like. This is your boy, Rob Clark. Out. Save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20 volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911, US only. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.